testimony of, of building bridges to Christ. Um, one of the things that we have been called to do as a church is to help people to grow in their faith. We've been called to go and make disciples uh, in, to all nations. And so we'd like to help you to, to grow in your faith, to know what it is to be a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so as you listen to these testimonies, I want you to listen with in mind asking God this question. God, what bridge do you want me to work on? God, what bridge do you want me to build this year? Uh, what do you, what, 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 in what area do I need to grow? So as you think about that, as you think about bridges together, let's welcome uh, Scott Braddock as he comes to share with us uh, Building Bridges to Christ. Scott, welcome. Hi. Good morning. Wow, it's big in here. I have been in here for about uh, 15 years, but... My testimony is... Uh, summed up in the last sermon series. Can you not hear me? Speak I can clearly hear into okay. the microphone. Yes, sir. <laughs> there you go. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Pastor Culp, you know, it's funny. We were praying for Pastor Culp to come. Come, Lord, help us have a new pastor. Then he comes, and then he gives this sermon series that tears my heart up. So I'm, I don't know if it was... A blessing, or it was just something we're supposed to go through. So, um, I'm sure glad he came. Um, the first sermon he gave was on honesty, and he was speaking, sharing with us how David was hiding up in the caves up in Judea. And Dave was really freaked out at that time because, you know, he had people trying to kill him and. Uh, he felt very destitute and alone, and he was in that cave, and he was praying to the Lord with all of his heart. You know, he was just pouring out all this emotion, and um, and Pastor Culp was saying, we need to be like David and just totally tell the Lord how we feel. And so I was jotting down all these great notes, you know, I need to be honest with the Lord, I need to to have him search my heart and and bring anything out to the table that needs to be brought out, you know. And um, I always thought of myself as being an honest person, and so I, I thought, okay, I can I can do this. I can ask the Lord to really, you know, really search my heart and find out anything that that needs needs to be brought out. Well, about this time. Um, I got a phone call from my mom and then my father, and um, what happened is my parents decided to have an, uh, another divorce. And this is same dad, different mother. So I'm on mother two right now, dad one, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is getting really complicated. You know, I wish he wouldn't keep doing this. This is starting to wreck my life. and. And as I was, was thinking about this, the pastor gave another sermon on fear. And my parents were sharing with me 
what was going on and, and what the, you know, what they're, what they were going through. They called me, you know, and I'm the, the youngest of all the sons, and I'm thinking, gosh, why are my parents calling me for, asking me for advice? I'm the youngest one. I'm, you know, for heaven's sakes, I never thought of myself as being a good counselor. But for some reason, they entrusted me, and I was very thankful for that because it, it gave me time to, to think and to respond to them. But it also created this great burden on my heart. I thought, you know, um, am I going to treat them the same? Am I going to love them unconditionally? And, and as I went back to the other sermon about being honest, um, I asked the Lord to, to really search my heart. And I came to the conclusion that I was having a lot of uh, fear about the future and how this rose-colored future I painted that my parents were going to grow old. They live up on a, a house um, north of the Ad Center up on the beach, and it's just the most beautiful house in the whole world. And it's, um, we spent a lot of weekends there. Uh, before I was helping with the high school ministry, we'd go there every Sunday night and and uh, enjoy watching the sunsets and spend some quality time with mom and dad. And and since I started helping out more and more, those times of going all the way out there were becoming less and less. And so um, I wasn't going to have those memories anymore. And so I was fearing this. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, um, we're not going to go up there anymore. You know, life is changing on me. I'm not ready for this. I don't, I don't like change. I fear it. And so I thought, well, I don't, I don't allow fear to come into my life anymore. You know, when I first got married, I got saved the day before I got married. And I had a little fear going on, believe it or not. Um, I was 21 years old. I, wasn't, I already came from a broken home, and here I am marrying a German girl. Um, her parents spoke very uh, cryptic English, and I moved in with them at that that weekend after we got married um, because we were very broke, and I was going to college. And the, the thing about living with um, Christians that don't speak English and they don't do anything fun. They work on a farm. They wake up early and they shovel corn until 7, 8 o'clock at night. It was a big change in my life. I was a, I'll just say, a carefree individual who lived on the beach, who didn't have any worries. And all I thought of is how much was the wind blowing to go windsurfing or uh, do we have enough gas money to make it into St. Joe to go skateboarding. That was my life, pretty much. And then all of a sudden... I'm getting married. I have to go to college and, and do all these things I need to do. But I remembered how the Lord put in a couple people in my life. One was Pastor Weedrick. He used to be a pastor here. And when I told him I just got saved, I, I met him, I believe it was the week after I got married. He was panicked. What? You just got saved and you're not involved in a Bible study or anything? And so he Scramble, he said, okay, you're, you're coming to my office twice a week. We're going through this Bible study. We're getting you plugged in, and we got to get you rooted down. You know, we got to get you solid. You know, we can't have you just saying you're saved and not knowing anything about the Lord. How dare you? So, 
Him and my father-in-law, Kurt Orwell, he was a Gideon, and he was probably the most solid man. Um, you know, wow, I did fine in the other service. Um, anyway, those two people were put in my life just to allow me to see that we don't have to fear anything. We just need to get our focus on the Lord. And sometimes when you look back in the rearview mirror, you know, a lot of self-help people say, you know, you got, you're going down this road of life, you're driving, quit looking in the rearview mirror at what's gone in in the past. Well, I was looking back at the past, looking at all the times the Lord has carried me through, all the times the Lord has brought me through situations that were just, there was no possible way. And he found a way, okay? And, and it's those times and those people that they're your family. They're more important than your biological family. You know, the people in the church, the people that, that are praying for you, that are lifting you up, you know, and that are calling you up and caring about you. Anyway, that was um, something that I had to keep reminding myself to, not to fear, you know, if the Lord brought, you know, people like Kenneth Weirich, who was a Canadian, for heaven's sakes, if he could go through life with all those kids and not have fear, then I could do it too. You know, it was something that I just needed to remember that the Lord was with me. And the next sermon the pastor gave was on anger. And I thought to myself, gosh, why do we have uh, this sermon for it? It's, you know, I'm, I'm not an angry person. I have no anger against anyone. I'm a very loving kind. I'm a, I'm a martial artist. I'm not allowed to get angry. I'm very mellow, you know. And, and uh, it's funny because I was driving down the road that weekend after, or that following week after the pastor gave that sermon. And I was listening to one of my favorite bands called Delirious, and, and they do this song called Investigate, and the, the lyrics talk about investigate my heart and make me clean. And, and I asked the Lord to investigate me, and you got to be careful what you ask the Lord for, because I'm telling you what, he'll bring it, and you just got to be ready. You remember when you pray about patience, the Lord will bring you into a situation that involves patience. So you got to be careful what you pray for, and and I asked the Lord to investigate my heart and, and bring out anything that I was angry about. And I, at first, I couldn't believe it. When the Lord first revealed this to me, I thought, my gosh, this is, this is terrible, you know. And I had to really um, just lay it out on the table for what it was. And I, I realized that I was angry at my father for divorcing my biological mother, which led to a, a course of depression with her that, that ended up with um, suicide. And so I was suppressing that, you know, for the last 20 some years. And I realized that I was also suppressing a, um, a feeling of neglect because during the time of my mother's depression I went to go live with some people uh, from the church that we were going to 
See, my mom arranged it that during this time she's going to the hospital, she, she asked some, uh, some church people, hey, can you watch over my son while I'm in the hospital? And they said, sure. You know, and, and so I went to go live with them. And it's funny, as I look back at it, I used to, at first I'd think, you know, why didn't my dad take me there? You know, why didn't my dad call up and say, that's my son, bring him out to my house, he should be living with me. And then I thought, you know, why didn't that ever happen? And, and there's a reason God puts us where we're at. You know, the, the family showed me so much unbelievably unconditional love. I was not their biological child, but yet they showed me so much love and Christ's love. And that was the thing that my mom wanted to make sure is that my spiritual side was taken care of. She, she had it in tune of what the most important thing in life is. If your spiritual life is intact, everything else will just, will happen, you know? And so um, I was living with this other family and when my mom passed away and my dad still did not call up and request me to come live with him. And so I was I had a little anger, I had a little angst about that, and I tried not to talk about it or show it too much, but the Lord brought this out, and, um, and then to add on that, now he's divorcing my mom that I've been calling mom for the last 35 years. So uh, the next week, the pastor goes, hey, we're going to talk about radical forgiveness, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's sweet, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Gosh, dang it, you know? And uh, it reminded me of about 10 years ago, I used to bike race, and we, a couple of us, went out to Colorado and we went and climbed one of the, the 14s. It was called Mount Evans. And if anyone knows about Mount Evans, it's the highest paved road in the United States, and it's 14,250 feet, plus or minus a couple inches. And we took off, and it took us four and a half hours to climb that thing from Golden. And that was the hardest thing I ever did. And I was one mile from finishing, and I left my bike, and I was just like, I can't do this. And I set it down, and I was sitting on a stone, and my buddy is a mile away from me shouting, Come on, you can do this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I can't do this. I'm fried. I'm altitude. You know, I've got the the mental thing that goes on at altitude. And I, but he kept encouraging me, encouraging me, encouraging me. And I got back on that bike five miles an hour into that 14-mile headwind and did the final switchbacks to get to the very top. And, yeah, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, and when the pastor brought out that sermon, you have two ways in life. You can hold on to that pain and be bitter, or you can forgive and have peace. And so here I am with this table with all this mess, and I need to just walk away from it. And it was the toughest thing I ever did. And during that time, it was funny because uh, my dad called up, and my dad's got two hearing aids. He calls up, son, I want to... I wanted to come over and make you pizza. I said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? You don't cook, Dad. I, I've, I've, you know, I've known you for 45 years. You don't, I cook, honest I do. And I'm making you pizza and I'm thinking, 
okay, this is going to be the worst tasting pizza I've ever tasted in my entire life. Well, my dad's a big health freak, and so he brought over this gluten-free pizza. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever, Dad. It's, you know, I need to get over this and stuff. And so I was starting to have all this anxiety, and then, and then the pastor sermon just kept playing in my head, playing in my head, and I was thinking, man, I just got to get over this and move on in life. And then it came to the conclusion that I also needed not only get over it, but I need to walk towards my dad. I need not to always go towards the most pleasant situation, but I need to make this a pleasant situation. I need to make my father something that I gravitate towards instead of you know, just being okay with it, you know. And so um, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and, and I shared with a couple of people at work, and uh, they were praying for me, and all of a sudden I just had this sense of peace. And when he came over, we had the best gluten-free pizza <laughs> I've ever had in my entire life, and it was the best interaction and it was all because the Lord, you know, the Lord was building a bridge between my father and I that never really existed. And it wouldn't have existed if, if Pastor Culp wouldn't have shared what the Lord was telling him. And so we always have to be open to the, to the hard road. It may not be the funnest, but it's the best for us, and we have to be obedient. And so I just uh, thank you for letting me share. As we think about this theme of building bridges, transforming lives, not only do we as a church, as individuals, need to build bridges to Christ, we also need to build bridges to one another. This next testimony helps us to be reminded that God's purpose and God's best for us is not that we would go through life alone, not that we would, when difficult times come, that we would pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we would, you know, we would we would just get, have a stiff upper lip, all those cliches that we would just do that and try to, within our own selves, have the strength to get through those difficult times. But God put us in community with one another. God brought you to this church, not so that you would come in and go out with no one knowing you, but he wants you to know fellowship. He wants you to be known by people. He wants you to do life with us. That's why you're here. And so life is best done as a group. It's best done in relationship. And so now we're going to hear another testimony by video, a testimony that again reminds us that as a church, as we build bridges, transforming lives, that we must build bridges to one another. Cloudsville sun and disaster comes oh my soul oh my soul when waters rise and hope takes flight oh my soul oh my soul 
it, it, it's the most unbelievable experience I've ever had. You know, to have what I have. And to sense the prayers of the people in the church. You know, I mean, to physically feel them. People will not understand what I'm talking about because they've never felt them. Hmm. I have physically felt them. I know it. You never let go. You never let go. You never let go. Um, I had six hours to live. That's how sick I was. Uh, they told my wife that uh, you might want to get the kids together because uh, he's going downhill and he's probably not going to make it. That's interesting because that same day that that particular thing happened was the day that it was announced in the church that I was in the hospital so that, that the people in the church could, could finally start praying for me. It was after that that, that I started making a turn for the better. my soul. I was in tears because I physically felt the prayer and, and it, 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 a lot of this transpires in your, in your bone marrow and your bone marrow is set in, the, in, in your lower back in the middle of your lower back. And I felt something happen in, in uh, my lower back when I got off the phone with Greg. And I physically felt that prayer and my body started to heal itself at that particular point. And uh, the power uh, that we have as people, as a congregation, as in what our responsibility is to, to, to pray for one another is, is just incredible. And, and I'm just here to tell you again that, that you know, for people who've never been able to feel that and and uh, uh, or who never will is the most unbelievable experience that you'll ever have. And so I don't know um, where this journey is going to take me. I just know that I'm open um, uh, for him to take me wherever he wants me to go with this. You know, if I'm going to help somebody else, if, if somebody's going to be in, in my shoes someday and I can walk them through it, you know, I'm certainly glad to do that. Uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that question, other than, than I know that there's, there will be an answer to that question. to Christ, being grow, growing in our relationship with Him, not only do we need to build 
bridges to one another. We also need to build bridges to our world. And now uh, Randy and then Ann Frakes and some from the ministry team are going to share with us what it looks like for us as a church to build bridges to our world. Randy. I'm usually up here telling you what to read and where to go and stuff, but today I get to tell you a story, so I'm excited about that. I see a lot of smiles. Thanks for your kind faces. Well, I've never heard of myself being described as a kind face. Anyway, uh, let me set the stage. Uh, it was this summer. We're six days out from the big day, and I, I had never personally worked with Habitat before, and I, I was a little bit nervous about how that was going to go. And uh, I'd heard great stories, and some of my friends back in high school had, had worked with Habitat, and uh, I was also a little nervous because I had never done a, a work project in my own city. And my colleagues in ministry, they, they've had, they had had two kinds of experiences. They'd had horrible, never-do-again experiences, just didn't work out, and they've had life-changing experiences. There was nothing in between. <laughs> so that made me a little nervous, too, that, wow, we're either going to succeed or fail here. Sweet. Well, and, and so this day, on a, a Tuesday, I'm looking at these registration forms of who's going to sign up and work, and there were only two. And we needed at least ten. I thought, oh, Lord, I've pr made this promise to Habitat. What am I going to do? So we went to Plan B. We changed our strategy, and we let people sign up for individual days and stuff. And at 7.30 in the parking lot... The next Monday, there were there were 18 of us ready to go work. I thought, wow, okay, this is going to be good. I stayed with a team that helped put um, appliances in the new houses. They were almost finished, almost ready for dedication. And there's a crew of guys and me, and we went made many trips that morning to put these appliances in. And that was really cool to to think, you know, we're carrying these things, these these things that people are going to use and prepare food on and wash their clothes. And that was really an honor to bring those things in. And by the time my crew got to the actual work site that most of us were on, the, the roof was finished. They, they had finished off some of the outside walls and they had done all the roof decking. And, and I, I wasn't sure what we were going to be able to accomplish in the first day. Sometime, I mean... I can say this because I know them, but sometimes high school students are a little squirrely, <laughs> a little excited about this whole thing. But they got to work, and <laughs> they hammered it. <laughs> Drums. Sorry, Mark. No, no warning. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so, so we worked, and we worked, and it was just amazing to see these students step it up and, and, and to work hard. So we went on this journey from that week. We worked um, Tuesday, through, uh, Tuesday through Saturday. And we got to meet the family. And uh, let me tell you, Shea Jackson and her boys, they, uh, Shea works nights at a nursing home. And she got there when we got there in the morning. And she worked until we were done, until 3 or 4. And then she got a nap and then went to work. She did that every day. And apparently the whole process of her house, she did that. So it was awesome to, for, for these students to be able to see this woman that wasn't just like, 
getting something handed to her, she was putting blood, sweat, and tears in it too. And why I will continue to do this and why you need to hear this story is that I love going on mission trips and I, I went as a high school student too. And my life was changed. But sometimes when we go away, the distance is too far for us to reconcile in our heads that, oh, these needs are, are here. And that's the point. We go to open our eyes to, to, to the world that needs us. And, but sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't make sense in our heads and we just get back into our normal life. Well, the best part about this for me is that Shea's house is six miles from this spot. It's right here. So we, yeah, so we had a great week and um, something, a fruit of this is that we, uh, there's Shea and her, her boys. This is at the dedication. So we got to give, we got to hand over the key. Someone from Habitat got to hand over the keys to her house. If you've ever been to a dedication like that, or if you've been on a mission trip where you built a house and you hand over someone's new life to them, it's amazing and a moving experience. I suggest that every, you should all be involved in something like that. But one of the fruits of this is that um, First Church, with, with the help of the, with the high school ministry, we were given the um, Volunteer Group of the Year Award from Habitat this year. And, and I, never, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> I, a week out, I thought, well, we might finish the walls, you know. But we had all of the, of the rough construction done, and we had the siding on by the time we left. It was just amazing to see all these students band together. And we went from, from two people to, to around 30 people total being involved in the project. It was incredible. And that was something I said, okay, God, you're going to have to do this. I don't know what to do. You're going to have to provide this. We want to help. Here we are. Here's my hammer. Here, here's our muscles. Let's do this. So this, this is a, a testimony to me that God can use, you know, if, if you wonder if, if the world is, is well off with the next generation, um, if you have any doubts, give, you know, give me a call. Because there's a lot of good, good students out there. There's a lot of good high school students that want to change the world. And they're doing it. And someone was so excited that she called uh, um, one of the, the TV stations in, in um, South Bend, and they sent up a crew, and we got three minutes and 27 seconds on the news one night. And it was, uh, they're real tight with their time. Uh, out, of, out of four hours of filming, he, we got three minutes and crazy. Anyway, but God moved in high school students, and he, and he showed, he reminded me and, he, and, and now their eyes are open to what is around them. Six miles away, maybe their neighbor, maybe their locker partner, maybe their teacher or their coach needs to be served. And there's a serving opportunity right here, right next to you, wherever you are. Um, I'm Ann Frakes, and I was asked here today to tell you my story. But as I was preparing for today, I realized that it's not my story. It's a group story. And it's a story of how a small group of women stepped out in faith without any plan at all to do a great work for God. We trusted God's promise to light the next step. Not necessarily the whole path, but always that very next step. 
We committed to serve locally, to build relationships, and to share Christ's love through acts of service. We've had to think on our feet and be flexible. Sometimes, no matter how well we tried to prepare for an event, there would be a wrench in the works. But God was always there in the midst of the confusion. One time, in particular, we were serving a Christmas dinner at the homeless shelter, and unknown to us, they had put an ad in the paper. So as we were putting the final touches on our meal, the noise level in the front room got louder and louder, and people were pressing against the door to the kitchen, and we realized there would be no way possible for us to feed this many people. So we put our hands together, and we gathered around, and we prayed an offering over our meal, and we asked God to bless it. Well, it wasn't until later that night, as we were packing up leftovers to leave, that we realized God had worked a miracle. He also puts the pieces of the puzzles together for us, and sometimes we don't even realize that there was a puzzle. One time, for instance, I was at a friend's house, and she was shifting some furniture and things around, and offered me a bed. And she said, you know, I don't need this anymore. And I said, well, yeah, I could, I could use that because I have kids that come home from college. It'll be nice to have. Well, 24 hours later, I got a call from some staff at Morton School that they had discovered uh, an entire family sleeping on the floor. They didn't have one bed in the whole house. And could we come up with anything for this family? And I just laughed. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, God gave me a bed yesterday. I just didn't know who it was for. We're currently in our fourth year together, and we've served previously at the homeless shelter in Benton Harbor and at Morton School, and now we're at McCord Elementary. It's an inner city school, and most of the children come from very poor families. The hands-on team has spread out to cover many areas of need in the school. We have a dedicated group of ladies who's taken over the operation of the school library, and the teachers there tell us that it's now a very warm and inviting space. We have other volunteers who go regularly into classrooms. They assist teachers and they work one-on-one -on -one with students who have fallen behind. Still others collect and distribute things that are greatly needed by these children. Coats, boots, hats, mittens, uniforms, whatever. We laugh because most often our cars and our basements look like Goodwill drop-off locations. Quite often my husband goes to open the trunk of the car to put something in there only to find it full. He puts up with it, though. We've had an opportunity this year also to work directly in the homes of three families. This, we've discovered, has been an incredible opportunity to let our light shine for the whole neighborhood. Recently, we were delivering a stove to a single mother um, right in downtown. And as we turned down on her street, I realized there was quite a crowd gathered in front of her house and a lot of people out in the streets, and we thought, oh my goodness, you know, what are we driving into here? Lord, protect us. We just didn't know. Well, as it turns out, there was a group of young men there to carry the new stove into the house for this young mother, and the others were just her neighbors who had come outside just to share in the excitement of seeing their friend receive her new stove that day. This year we hosted a Christmas store at McCord Elementary where the children could come and purchase gifts for their families, whether or not they had money. We had suggested an offering of $2 per student, which would buy them four very nice gifts. However, there were children that brought literally 17 cents, but everybody shopped. It was a time of great joy, and most of the volunteers who were there commented that they received far more than they had given. Some volunteers came back to the school afterwards bringing boots, and shoes for the that they had purchased for the children that they had met while working there. 
and some volunteers even signed on to work with teachers on a regular basis in their classrooms and help them out. God has equipped each and every one of us with a special gift or talent. Yours may not be the same as ours, but we encourage you to please follow your hearts. Get involved with something. You can carry God's love outside of these four walls into the world, and you will also be blessed in return. I'd like to introduce some team members that are here, and I know there's others out there that were hopefully going to be up here, but it, there was a wrench in the works again. But we have Joyce Shalito here, who has been with us from the very beginning now. And Andrea Dominion is new this year, and she has a little story that she shared with me this morning that I just think you guys would really like to hear. She goes uh, actually four days a week this year into a classroom at McCord and assists a teacher who had such a large classroom she couldn't handle it herself. And Andrea has worked with students to bring up their reading skills. She received a thank you card from the students at Christmas, and one of the girls named Precious wrote a note to her saying, Thank you for teaching me to read. I was lost in the stars, but you have shown me the way to the moon. And she said, through your help and your helping me to read, I can now make something of my life. Now that's a testimony. So I really encourage everybody to find something and get involved. You really won't be sorry. So not only are we to build bridges to Christ to one another, but we have been called to build bridges to our world. I remember when I first was talking to the congregation about coming, potentially as a pastor, uh, many on the staff were really excited about this idea and on the search committee, the idea of being a missionally minded church, an idea of a church that got out of itself and got out into the world and its community. And as I talked to, the, talked to them, you know, I was excited. Yeah, a church that, that is excited about, about, about what it could do in the future. And the, as I came to First Church and began to hear stories like what Randy shared and what Ann is sharing, hearing stories when I sit in meetings and hear people that not prompted or not organized by some staff or, or some board, but just small groups that, that are taking uh, and doing ministry at shelters and different things. And I began to realize what we're talking about is not a church that's not doing anything that we need to jumpstart to do something. But what we were really talking about is what would it look like if this entire church began to see our purpose together. Individuals doing their part, sometimes groups doing their part, but together, what could we do as we become missionally minded? So I realized it's not that we're not doing anything. It's just what God wants us to do is to, where maybe we're doing it uh, on a limited scope, what would it look like if this entire place, if every single person here today would ask God, God, what bridge this year do you want me to build to some little child? Like we heard the story of a, of a woman that goes to a class. It's taught a little girl how, how to read. 
And now that little girl says, you've given me the path, the bridge, so that I can make something of my life. Christ told us that whenever you do it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. And so this morning as we conclude our time, just want to ask you the question. You received a card as you came in. And on this card it says, Building Bridges, Transforming Lives. And take that card out, and there's pins in the pew there in front of you. And I want to ask you to, as we worship, and so if our worship team come out, during this time of worship, and if our ushers could go ahead, and we've got some, uh, we're going to put some baskets out for you, or you can put them along the, the pews, or the, the, the altars here in the front. And during this time of response, I want to ask you to talk to God about what bridge he wants you to build this coming year. And as all of us build bridges, maybe you have never, uh, are not into a personal relationship with Christ, and so you're saying, you know, I need a relationship with Christ this year. I need to grow in my faith this year. I need to, to go to Preston's class this year. I need, to, I need to get in my Bible this year, whatever that is. Maybe it's, I need to build a bridge to others, and God's saying that to you. You need to be a part of a small group. You need to, uh, you realize that if you had a debilitating disease like Stu talked about, that you realize that, that no one really knows you here because you come in and you go out, but you're not connected and you're not in a group. You're not in a Bible study. You're not in the choir. You're not any place where people really are getting a chance to know you. And and you need that. And you realize, God, help me to find a place to belong this year. Or maybe you've been prompted by these stories. And you have been a consumer. And this year you realize, God, I don't want to just be a consumer. I want my life to make a difference in someone else's life. And so you could write that down. But whatever it is, as we respond, as we sing... I'm going to ask you to take this card, and you can either put it at the altar, or you can put it in uh, one of the plates or the, the, the places in the, in the uh, upstairs or down here. But as your response, take that card and put it somewhere, saying to God, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this bridge for you. Let's stand as we respond to God. Father. Now, as we conclude our time together, as we worship, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts and speak to us, Father, and help us to listen and to hear what bridge you want me to build this year, what bridge you want us to build this year, whether it's a bridge to Christ, a bridge to one another, a bridge to our world. Father, now speak to us. In the name of Christ, we pray.